Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. All right, guys, we ready to go. I got Dr. Barry Pierre coming all the way from Florida. What's good, man? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. And uh, like always, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to join, you know, my brother, Dr. Nee, on uh, Docs Outside the Box. Hey, man, did you get that white call yet? Not yet, not yet. You haven't gotten the white call? I got my white call today. <laughs> so obviously, this is the sign of the times. People are probably like, why are you guys laughing? Listen, if we're not laughing, we're going to probably be crying. Right. So this is during the protests of what's going on with George Floyd. Well, he was murdered by a police officer. And so obviously these are very serious and grave times. But, you know, there appears to be some things that are a little bit different. Right. People who are protesting, you know, appear to be more multicultural. White people are getting beat up by the police in these protests. I'm like, yes, there, you know, you know, I think we're having a lot more people join and join who we wouldn't expect to join. I think there's a lot more people who are realizing like, wow, like, you know what? Like, they may be talking about something that's actually important. And you're seeing a lot of reverse course, which we love. Again, we're glad that you finally realized that, you know, it's a problem. So, you know, shout out to everyone who realizes, like, yeah, I probably should have listened to them, like, you know, years ago. But thank you. Yeah, welcome to the party, right? <laughs> My pop smoke. <laughs> you know, the thing that is really interesting, we were talking right before this, and we were joking around is, <laughs> did you... <laughs> Did you get your white call? Because this is a comedian that I listened to. And he was making a joke about like how this week, you know, a whole bunch of black people are going to start getting their calls from white people like, you know, they didn't know and so forth. And that's fine. Like I got mine today. It's actually a good friend of mine. He reached out and I really appreciate him. And we had a really good conversation on, you know, just things that he wasn't aware of, things that I may not have been aware of that he kind of knew but didn't say anything about. So we went to a really interesting place that I think from, you know, when you're just friends with someone, Sometimes there's a little bit of superficiality, and I think this has a way of making you go a little bit deeper, you know, and talk about things that truly bother you when you can't speak about it, you know, and he actually kind of mm-hmm. brought that up and he was just like, wow, like, that's pretty cool that you mentioned that because that is something that I think a lot of us go through, right? Like, you know, we have friends who are from different races and, you know, maybe we go and we break bread and we champagne and we campaign together, but then when we go home, we go home to different worlds and we don't really understand that, you know, so... It was interesting to have a conversation with him. So I was wondering, did you have that type of conversation with anybody over the past couple of weeks at all? Fortunately, you know, I got a few friends who've kind of been always down, right? So, you know, they're the ones just as active as me, right? They're like, oh, hey, are you going to this protest? Are you doing like, so they're, they woke. uh, Yeah, they're pretty woke. I do have a couple who I know want to talk to me about it. I could see them walking on eggshells. And of course, especially in the time like this, right? Again, I necessarily can't be inviting. I can't say, hey, you know, this is my issue I'm having. I kind of have to wait for them to be ready, which is what we've kind of learned over the years. If they're not ready to have the conversation, then us talking about it that doesn't move any needle. I fully expect, especially because I'm about to like get out of my hospital real quick because they've been kind of quiet, a little bit too quiet for me as far as their response, uh, as far as everything going on. So. Dr. Barry. Yes. <laughs> I want to probe you on that because if they've been slow, right? Because I think one of the things that we've seen a lot of companies come out with statements that say, hey, you know, we are against systemic racism, you know, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And then they come out with it, you know, like 
Ben and Jerry's came out with the most woke, like they just straight up broke it down for everybody with their, I encourage the people who are listening right now, make sure you listen or make sure you go and read Ben and Jerry's statement on this. It's straight. I think that's the gold standard as to how you should make a statement. But that being said, one, if they come out with a statement, are you going to believe them? And two, if they don't come out with a statement, does it make a difference? That's my thing in general. Does it make a difference if they come out with a statement or not? A statement? No. The statement is what, especially those who they not know, Ben and Jerry's has been about that life, right? Like, I need y'all to, like, go back to even Ferguson time. Like, Ben and Jerry's has been there. When I saw their statement, I'm like, yeah, that's what they do. It didn't shock me one bit that Ben and Jerry's would be the person to do it. I think now, I think a lot of us have kind of moved past the statement phase. Like, we're, we're done past that, you know, that fluff, an email or notification newsletter that y'all are going to send us. We want to see what actions y'all are about to do. And I think that's what's really changed over the past week or so that, you know, if we don't see action, we're calling out the inaction very quickly. Like we're not allowing your PR person to write the best, you know, statement as they can be and then just kind of go away as if everything's okay. So it's all about the action for us right now. Got you. Got you. Got you. You're right about that. And, you know, right now I'm looking at you. You don't have a microphone on. You got some earbuds on. Which earbuds are those? I got the AirPods. For those who know me, I'm a team Mac to the fullest. So, you know, Steve Jobs took me and I haven't left yet. You know, I got the AirPods. I got an Apple Watch on, which opens up my MacBook next to iPhone. Like I'm Team Apple fully. <laughs> Why you got to brag, man? It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's okay, man. It's all right, man. I got you. Your Apple Mac, all this stuff is nice. So I actually have AirPod Envy. Like I get pretty jealous of that. For me, that stuff wouldn't stay in my ear. Those type of things never stay in my ear. So I've always just used over-the-ear, you know, headphones, or I've always used like some type of Jabra or anything that has wingtips on it. So finally, the audience can't see this, but I've Google finally released part two of their Pixel Buds, and I love these. They used to come in this nice carrying case, but the carrying case charges it. The audio is really good. I'm a big fan of this, so I'm going to be doing a Tech Tuesday pretty soon on this. So just to let you know that. And you know, me and you share that. I'm not sure what series of AirPod this is, but I'm the same way. Like if I have those ones that like most people can wear, which I'm so envious of, those people who I've been seeing jogging and are just able to run and exercise and it never falls out of the ear. Mine typically does. But like, I guess because the one they made now, like has the three different sizes of, I guess, cushion. Like, in fact, it's so funny because one side of my ear has one type of cushion size and the other has a bigger one. Like, I'm not sure what's going on with my ears, but like, that's what I had to do for it to stay in there. So you're just like me, like earbuds just never, I mean, I remember in high school, people would have these type of things that you put in the ear. It just never worked for me. And no, definitely not. I couldn't do just it. have different ear canals. I used to be so mad at them and I'd be like, like how are they able to do it? I mean, they're able to shake their head, but like, thankfully Apple listened and, you know, gave us some different sizes and I was able to finally join on the train. So you have the regular AirPods or you have the AirPods Pro? Uh, I guess it's Pro. I guess it's the Pro, whichever one had like- oh, The noise cancellation? Yes. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so this one does not have noise cancellation. So this one is for 178 bucks, and it's cheaper than yours, but I think mainly because there are features that are left off this one that yours has. So it has adaptive sound so that like if you're on a bicycle or if you're walking and you know, cars are whizzing by, it'll lower the volume so you can hear, but mm -hmm. it does not have noise cancellation. But anyway, listen. Shout out to Steve Jobs. Yes, talk to us. Let's go. We are here to talk about a question that I think a lot of people are wondering what to do in this type of situation, which is actually things that we don't really cover on Docs Outside the Box, but you know, every now and then it's good to respond to listeners. So I had a listener write in and say, hey, I didn't match, unfortunately, for a residency. What do I do? 
I remember you are the program director at your respective hospital. This is for family medicine, correct? Internal medicine. Internal medicine. You are the program director for your program, and I'm sure you probably see this question in some form or fashion, or you've worked with people who've been in this type of situation. So I wanted to get your thought process on, one, what do you do if you don't match? How do you make yourself a better candidate to reapply? Or, you know, does that process still occur? Like if you don't match, you can still call places and try to get in. Let's start from there. Take it from there. So, you know, just quick introduction first for those who you know, may not know me. I'm Barry Pierre. I'm the program director at Wellington Regional Medical Center, which is a internal medicine residency program. We got about 18 residents, six every year. We have 25 medical students kind of running around here. I'm also the director of medical education for our, our place as well. And my job, right, one of my biggest jobs is really getting people through the door. So I read all of the applications that come through every single year. And just so people can understand the credibility I have, first, you know, Dr. Nee gave me the cosign, so that should be enough. But just in case, you know, you're not paying any money. That's what I'm talking about, Dr. Barry. Right. I want to get to that point where I just give people a cosign (laughs) and that's it, yo. That's it. Right. Right? So, you know, over the past three years, I've read probably 1,200 applications, which means I've probably gone through about 3,000 letters of recommendation, 1,200 personal statements. So I've been around this block quite often. I do each and every like, one of them. You read I've been a fast reader, but what, and we'll actually talk about it, especially when we talk about applications, personal statements. You'd be surprised, like how monotonous it is, but you'd be surprised how monotone they are. Like a lot of them are just like I can just stack them up over and over. It's the same thing over and over again. So I just look for the differences, which sometimes a lot of people don't have. The ones who do stand out to me. So I've been around the way. I've read this application, and you know I've been through the ERAS uh, phase, right, where you know you're, we're trying to get applicants in, we're trying to get our interviewees in. And I've also talked and have the counsel with people who did not make it, right? And I did not make it means when ERAS came, when it was time for match, they did not match into a respective program, depending on how many programs they chose, even during the SOAP process, which is what Dr. Nee kind of referenced in regards to after the initial match sweep and there's some open spots left around the country, they didn't even match in those spots. This is usually one of the more, as a professional, you know, as a medical student, usually one of our more, and especially at this time, they're, they're about to be physicians, right? You know, because they're finishing medical school. Usually one of the most humbling experiences for a lot of people. And for some, right, you know, just being able to ask that question, you know, shows me a lot, right? Because a lot of people won't, right? A lot of people will kind of keep it to themselves and, you know, can continue this bravado that, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, I don't need any help. Uh, so being able to kind of reach out and say, hey, you know, Dr. Nee, I got this question. I'm concerned. I didn't match. Like, what should I do? When they pose that same question to me, first question I always ask is, you know, where do you think right, you went wrong? Right. Because a lot of times they know. Right? And, you know, even though they won't admit, a lot of times they know that, you know what, maybe I had, you know, a personal statement, you know, wasn't written real. And maybe my board score. That's always the big They always think the board scores. When I have to tell people a lot of times it's just not letter of recommendations. Because when we talk about the application or just applying to residency, the application is a five-part process. The application, it's your CV, aka your resume. It's your personal statement, your letters of recommendation, right? So all of these parts kind of, and you're obviously your grades during medical school. So for me to be able to even answer that question, like I delve into all five parts and say like, all right, let's just go over your parts and see where it happened, right? Like, tell me about your personal statement. Like, what does your personal statement say about you? And, you know, they usually have a question there. And it, well, tell me about your grades. What were your grades for? What were your boards? You know, what was your resume? Tell me about your CV. Then, um, most importantly, tell me about your letters of recommendation. Like, who actually gave you the co-side to say, hey, you know what, this is the person I want as a respective residency. 
if you're not able to answer those questions, right, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding why uh, you may have not matched that year. So we kind of do a deep dive and, you know, have the patient really look at all parts of their application. Because I know a lot of people, unfortunately, will focus on the boards, right? Like, oh, the boards, the boards, the boards, the boards. And then if they don't do well on their boards, you know, life is over. And, and I know people who focus on the personal statement or their focus is so singular that they disregard other parts that are just as equal, just as important uh, in their application. So I make them do an introspective, you know, self-reflection first. And then I start saying, okay, now that we have that, right, where did you apply to? Because as you know, right, you're a surgeon, right? So where you're applying for residency is just as important of your application in and of itself. And if you're honest with yourself, do you have the application, right, that would fit that type of residence? And regardless, we'll talk about surgery, for example. I see a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to be a surgeon, I want to be a surgeon. But like, if I'm reading your application and during medical school, you were never part of any surgery organizations, you were never doing any of the anatomy physiology wise, right? And then I'm reading your personal statement. It doesn't really pretend to why you want to be a surgeon, why you would make a great surgeon. If, if the parts aren't connected because they have to connect, you know, you're not going to get into surgery residency. So making sure you have an application that actually fits the residency that you want to get to is extremely important. I think one of the more overblown aspects is, you know, getting these letters of recommendation and understanding that you actually have to have good letters of recommendation too, right? Like some people think like it's just a numbers game. Like, oh, I'll just get three letters of recommendation and I'm good to go. Like I just need three from somebody. And understanding that importance of getting the three and getting the three from people who know you, know you well. One of the categories and the reason why I can go through so many letters of recommendations is because one of the categories of letters of recommendation are what I call CV rewrites, right? Where the person who's writing it just says, well, you know, I recommend Barry Pierre for this internal medicine program. As you can see, he was a part of, you know, ACP and he was a part of this. And, he was, and like, they just tell me the stuff that I could easily read in their CV, right? So like having people who are writing for you on your behalf and understanding you and making sure that they're like expounding upon your character right, that I'm hoping that you're showing in your personal statement is extremely important, right? So understanding who's writing for you is probably just as important as just the number of applications in and of itself. And me, uh, one thing I have to tell you, and I think, you know, this is probably going to be shock for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who lose residency spots come to interview, right? Because we talk a lot about the application aspect, right? We talk a lot about, you know, getting a CV, making sure grades are fine. And there's a lot of people who look amazing on paper. And then they walk into that door for that interview and you're like, get me out of here quickly. And again, I'm not shocked, right? Because for most of us, as you're going into medical school, right, you're not working, right? So the last time you've had to, like, fortunately, I should say, there's a lot of people who don't really have to work during undergrad either, right? Like, you know, they, they're fortunate enough, parents taking care of them. So it's just school, school, school for them. So the last time they've actually had to do an interview, per se, right, is when they were probably getting into undergrad. And it shows when they get to the residency, because a lot of people, I don't think, realize that they're applying for a job as well. And you have to be prepared for your job as well. So you'll be surprised how many people drop the ball come interview time. So I ask them about their interview skills. How was the interview like? Let's say you got one or two interviews. How was their interviews like? How did you present yourself? What type of research did you do for the residency before you actually got there? right? To show that like, oh, no, this is a program I'm interested in. And one thing is extremely important, medical students, right? I'll say it, right? Because I know you got a lot of medical students who listen to this. Medical students are way confident on paper, right? But you ask them, right? Ask them like, oh, well, why should you be one of the six people in my surgery program? And they get the fumbling, right? All of a sudden, that confidence goes like, and honestly, again, you know, I'll tell a secret here. It's not really a secret. Most people who buy here should know. 
my first question when you walk through Wellington Regional for your interviews is, why should you be one of the six members I choose for my residency program next year? That's my question. And the amount no. of stumbling. That won't go? Yeah. The amount of stumbling <laughs> that occurs after that question, we already know where the interview is going, right? Because if you can't even confidently tell me all the stuff that's in your CV, if you can't confidently tell me why, you know what, I would be making a mistake, right? If I don't choose you, right? How is the program going to have any confidence in you as well, right? So there's a lot of moving parts, but like it has to start with the self-reflection, right? It has to start with your application. And then it has to end with actually doing well in your interviews because there's so many different ways where you can kind of drop the ball and say like, oh, like that's where I got hit. And that's why I'm not matching this year. So they have that's what it. I know I need to work on the following year. It has to be. So it's really important to do some self-reflection and kind of map out all the areas of weakness. Once you're able to find those areas of weakness, then kind of make a plan there afterwards. Yeah, I think you have to be able to make a plan. You have to be able to even voice it. Let's say you have a stumble on your personal statement. Let me board. ask you this one question. Yes, yes. What if you meet someone they're like, I don't know where I messed up. Like, I thought my grades were tight. I thought my interview was tight. I thought, you know, my three letters of recommendation were tight. You know, in many situations, you can't see your letters of recommendation. What happens in that situation? How does someone do a thorough assessment then? Like, can they call back their residency that rejected them and say, hey, can you give me, you know, an analysis as to why you didn't take me or? Actually, you know, and that's a very point. That's usually one of my advices especially if it's like one of your top choices, I always say like, oh, ask them why they didn't choose it. Because most of the time, if it's not the program director, somebody will give you and I was like, yeah, well, you know, you were on our list, but you just didn't make it. Or, you know, you weren't even, you didn't even make the list because of, you know, these things that we had that we championed for, you didn't necessarily fit, right? Again, if I'm a big person who focuses on, you know, research, right? But I apply to community-based programs that research isn't going to really move the needle for them, right? you have that mismatch there. And I think a lot of students, unfortunately, don't do enough homework, right? I think a lot of students will apply to, you know, places that they know they probably wouldn't get in anyway. It was more of a crapshoot. And then they're shocked that they didn't get into the place that was a crapshoot in the beginning. And again, when it comes to self-reflection, a lot of us don't do it unless we're forced to. You know, we've been at the top of our class, again, just to get into medical school, you had to be crazy smart. You go through the motions as a medical student, and then you get to a place where like, oh, I got to apply for a job for the next three years. And that's when the lights are bright. And that's where a lot of people, unfortunately, not a lot of people, but that's where people tend to crumble. So I do, I always say, you know, contact them, especially if you have programs that you're like, nah, I should have got there, right? And you really feel like you match there, you know, personality-wise, work ethic-wise, you know, your application, every like, if you really feel you match there and you just don't understand why you weren't chosen, reach out to them. Because, you know, most of the people who are pretty honest will tell you like, ah, you know, you just didn't make the cut. You know, you just make the top 15, you just made the top 20. And sometimes that's really the way it goes. So when you're saying reach out to them, are you talking about like reaching out directly to the program director or are you writing to the secretary? Like who should you be talking to? A lot of times, because I get it, I typically am CC'd on a lot of emails. They'll reach out to, because, you know, a lot of people don't realize the secretary who is our administrative chair in the residencies are one of the most important positions. Again, I don't know if people realize they're the ones who can get you an audition rotation. They're the ones who, you know, they typically will apply. So I typically am CC'd on a lot just so they can, you know, say like, hey, I just want to let you know my interest is still there. So definitely secondary. And if you can't, especially because you usually will get this, the program director's email, go ahead and CC them as well. You want those two to know. Or if you happen to have, you know, a resident contact that's in there, right? That's even more important. 
and that's honestly, that's really a thing that, you know, we probably could have a whole conversation on that. Most students, unfortunately, don't network enough. And the reason why they don't network enough, because they're usually not in the organization they need to be networking in. They don't network enough, so they don't get good letters of recommendation. Um, they don't network enough, so they don't know how to prepare for the interview. So there's a lot of lack of networking or the importance of it as well that goes on in medical school that I think. Because obviously, you know, me and you, we're, you know, that's, that's kind of our thing in that regard. So we understand the importance of it. And I think a lot of medical students don't. But especially when, you're, again, you're trying to apply for a job, right? I know we're talking about residency, but it's a job. And if you're trying to apply for a job, you need to try to get as much ins as you can, you know, to eliminate things like, you know, board score dips and personal statements uh, and, you know, letters of recommendations that, you know, that are more fluff than anything else. You know, I think that's really good. And I appreciate you bringing light to that. When you have that conversation with someone and they're identifying their issues, or if they go and they contact the program and they find out what the issues are. What happens for that next year? What kind of advice you give them? What should they do? Like, should they yeah. do a transition? Obviously, they probably have to do a transition or like some type of rotating year or do they go into research? Or like, what do you recommend in those situations? I can tell you what typically happens is they will do some type of either research or there is a lot of them work, right? A lot of them will work somewhat in the field. The worst thing to do is do nothing for a year, right? And have nothing to kind of address what happened the prior year. Uh, so that's the worst thing to do, right? So they typically will work research. If, again, if they can get a TRI, that'd be absolutely amazing. Because again, at least they're working, you know, during that year. But that's usually the big thing. You know, I see a lot of people work in doctor's offices. A lot of people do volunteering. A lot of people may do some, you know, volunteering, especially from a research standpoint, especially if they feel, you know, oh, that's what like caused me not to get into that one program because I didn't have my research under my belt. So let me go knock that out. And so again, the importance is understanding where, and again, that's where we go back to self-reflection. If you understand where you may have had a drop, you know what you can kind of work on during the year. Because things you're not going to be able to work on, you're not going to be able to work on your medical school grade. Not going to happen, right? You're not going to be able to work on the organizations that you did, you know, during medical school. Which again, I think a lot of people blow off, which is surprising to me, but a lot of people do blow it again. I wish you could see these applications. I read a lot of U.S. applications that are so blank when it comes to extracurricular activities. In my mind, I already know that's the type of person who is only thinking about, oh, I'm just going to do well on these boards and I'm good, right? And then hiccup happens. And then there's nothing to fall back. There's nothing to balance because of the hiccup. So if you self-reflect well and you understand these are the things I need to work on, because the only things that can improve and change over the year, your personal statement, I can tell you the amount of people who will spend that year and don't think they even have to change the personal statement. Like, no, someone's going to ask. You've seen applications with the same personal statement if they didn't get in. Wow. Same personal statement, same letters of recommendations. Like, okay, all right. Again, you'd be surprised. That's the person who I don't think like, oh, this person didn't really, they may have worked somewhere, but like they figured everything else in the application was good. So I don't need to change anything else. It was, I just need more time. I just need another year. Then they'll take care of me. And again, I wish I was being hyperbolous. I wish I was, but I see a lot of applications. Anything else that you want to add? to this person's question? First and foremost, you know, like typical medical students, understand that you are not the only one who is in that position. You're not the only one who's going to be in that position. And it's not the end of the road. There are a lot of people in a lot of different residencies and specialties across the board, right, who did not make it their first year, right? And it's really about the learning process of what do I need to do to make sure that 
at this time next year, I'm able to celebrate with other medical students. So that's the most important thing because I think a lot of times they get so dejected, so humbled, and so down on themselves, right? They almost kind of write off everything. Like, oh, it's, it's done. Like, I'm never getting into residency again. Like, I'm the only one experiencing this. And understanding that there's a lot of support systems out there, a lot of people you can talk to who are willing to talk to you, who are willing to say, like, no, you know, just work on this, work on that. Like, there's a lot of people out here who are willing to do it. So understanding it's not the end of the world. And, you know, you just got to just, you know, tighten up the proverbial, quote unquote, bootstraps and get ready. Because, again, the year that you're about to do, you're about to put some work in. But understanding that you can be successful. Thank you. That was good, man. So look, Dr. Barry, once again, you know, you've been on the show before, you're OG, but if people want to, you know, look you up or get in touch with you, tell them where they can find you, tell them where they can check out your podcast, all that. Appreciate it. So I'm Dr. Barry Pierre at all of our social media platforms, whether you're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I've never done a TikTok, but I'm even on TikTok. Man, what you doing on TikTok, man? You know, I treat my username like real estate. So okay. the social media thing pops up. I'm like, oh, let me go sign my name and just lock that down just in case Smart. I ever want to get on TikTok. So I'm, I'm there. I host a weekly podcast. You know, do any Dr. Bear. Nope. On TikTok? <laughs> oh, man. Every day I keep seeing another TikTok. I say, you know what? I might make that leap. I keep. I feel like I would be good on TikTok. Like, I feel like my personality would, would vibe over there, especially I like the whole tech side of it from that standpoint. So you may see it, right? By the time y'all listen to this, may see Dr. Barry, the, the TikTok Haitian position out there. <laughs> bon fête. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so everybody, my wife is Haitian, so I get a lot of the culture. So I understand the Haitian yes. culture, which is amazing. You guys should read much more about it. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Oh, and I also. host of Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry, weekly podcast, health podcast. We talk about a lot of different health-related, mental health-related, public health-related topics on there. A lot of great guests on there as well, too. So check that out, Lunch Learn with Dr. Bear. Boom. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll. Pump those brakes. Before you jump onto that next podcast, I need you to help me out. So if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy this podcast in general, I want you to take one of two options. One, subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find it that much easier to discover this show. Or two, go to the homepage, that's drneedarko.com, spelled D-R-N-I-I-D-A-R-K-O.com, and click on the right blue icon that says, ask me a question, and leave me your feedback, leave me your concerns, leave me your questions, leave me whatever pisses you to F off. And I'll be sure to feature it on an upcoming Ask Dr. Nee segment. Listen, this show is nothing without you all. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Peace.